Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So I need to just make sure I'm not hiding around the corner at the back seats there in the cheap seats. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you for leading us uh, in worship. Can I just give another little plug and announcement on next Saturday uh, is my induction up at Perry Street and apparently there's food afterwards so it's worth coming to, to, to see that. But, you know, my induction is not just my induction of me and Jem and the kids. It's yours. It's ours. Because it's what God is doing in his church today. So at 2.30 next Saturday, you can come to rugby. The Six Nations rugby hadn't started yet, so it's worth coming. If the Six Nations rugby had started, I might not be there either next week. But it's great to be with you today. You know, six weeks ago today, I had my final Sunday in my previous church. And we had a baptism, which was a wonderful way to end my time there. And the following day, I had what they were calling an exit interview. I think they wanted me to hand my keys over and make sure I was going, but I had an exit interview where they said, you can tell us all the things you think we've done wrong. I went, no, that's not what I'm here to do. Because, you know, we haven't got that long. But no, that's not what I'm here to do. And leading up to that exit interview, and one of the regional ministers was there, and some of the leadership, the deacons, were there. And I was thinking and praying about what, what I should say in that exit interview. And what I shouldn't say in that exit interview. And I spoke to my wife, who is a very wise woman of God, and you can tell her I've said that, um, and she said a simple phrase, it was Wayne, think about how you want to be remembered so that you end well. And I thought, why didn't I think of that? I'm the one that's got the training. Why didn't I think of that? So it's true though, isn't it? Think of how you want to be remembered so that you end well. She was so right. This week I was reading a thought for the day and I'm now part of the EBA, the Eastern Baptist Association, and um, I'm now getting all of their mail and emails and WhatsApps and goodness knows what to make sure that I'm reading them. And the thought for the day, for this week, uh, was from a guy who had just, he's a minister somewhere, and he's just joined a gym in the new year. He's joined a gym to try and get himself fit and all of those kind of things. And he said, around the, 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 the walls of the gym are all these sort of inspirational quotes when you feel like you're about to die you can read one of these quotes that will keep you going and one of them said remember why you started and it's a good quote to have as the sweat is pouring off you you think you're about to have a cardiac arrest remember why you started when you just want to reach for that extra Mars bar or Snickers or whatever it is your chocolate of choice and that's true we need to remember why we start things And that helps us in those difficult moments. At the moment, everything is fine for me in Billericay Baptist Church. You're all very nice, lovely people, and I'm sure that will continue. But I'm under no illusion, having been in ministry for 20 plus years, that there will come a church meeting that I come home from, and I want to pull my hair out and write my resignation letter. (laughs) Because we're human beings. And in that moment... That phrase, Wayne, remember why you started. Remember why God called you here. In my ministry since 2001, there have been moments where my wife has said, do you still want to do this? (laughs) 
and it causes me to stop and think, and I remember why God called me into ministry, and I do. But in the Christian life, and in life in general, life has a start, it has a middle, and from an earthly perspective, it will one day have an end. Let's hope that's not today for all of us. But it will one day have an end. It's why Paul talks about the Christian life like a race. And he encourages to to keep going, not to, to stop after the third mile, but to keep going until the very end. So endings are really important. And have you noticed in life how endings are important, especially in a book or a film? So it's right that we remember why we started but also let's look forward to keep going to the end. A couple of years ago, my wife was reading a book on holiday and she said, I think you're going to like this. I think you're really going to enjoy this. And she, was, she said, it's got a great start. And she's reading the page. She's got, oh, this has got you written all over it. There's a lot of death in it. There's a lot of police in it. You're going to love this. I love a police drama. Every day she said, oh, you're going to like this, you're going to like this, you're going to like this. And she finished the book and said, oh, you're not going to like that. <laughs> I said, sorry? She said, the beginning was amazing. And as I was reading through, the middle was great and I was remembering why I started it. But the ending was awful. And it will just annoy you. If you read or invest in that time, read the book, you start, you get to the middle and the end, oh, it will just annoy you. She's not somebody that likes to invest a lot of time in a TV drama. She likes Silent Witness because you get two parts and that story is done. What she doesn't like is a six, seven week sort of BBC drama that goes on and on when she thinks it could have been done in two or three anyway. (laughs) But a couple of years ago, I got her to invest her time with me in a six week BBC drama. This was before the days of Netflix and that, where you could just binge watch them all, or BBC iPlayer. And we were watching it, and it started off really great. And the middle of it was, was fantastic. We were glued, we were, we were talking about it over tea. We were waiting for the next episode. And the final episode came. And we were like, oh, we're now gonna, it's all going to come to a completion. We're going to know who did it. We're going to know why. We're going to know what happened. All of the answers that we've been having for the last six weeks were going to be finally revealed. And it ended at about 10 o'clock with this lonely figure walking down a country lane and then the figure disappeared and the credits rolled. And we looked at each other and went, is that it? (laughs) I couldn't tell you anything else about it. All I know is that's the last six-week drama that my wife has ever watched. She said, and she said, that is why I don't watch them. Because there was no resolution. There were no answers. We had no idea who did it, why they did it. Was she alive? Was she dead? I don't, couldn't tell you. I looked on social media. There was uproar on social media. Is that it? Is this why we pay our TV license? I don't know the ending of it. Maybe you can relate to some of what I'm saying. You have memories of things ending really well. Memories of things ending really badly. 
And we know that in life, some of this is completely insignificant, like a BBC drama or a book or things like that. But sadly in life, there are serious things like relationships and marriages that end really badly. Careers that end badly. Lives that end badly. That have a huge impact upon us as human beings. And while the beginnings are important, the middle is important, endings are vitally important. If you think of the myth, the pot of gold in a rainbow, where is it? It's not at the beginning. It's not at the middle. It's not even three quarters of the way through. Where is it? It's at the end. Apparently. We know it's not there because it's a myth. And we can get very consumed with our past and our present. And in doing so, we can sometimes miss the gold. That's at the end, if we would just carry on. If we would just push through. If we would just continue. Why say all of this? Psalm 46 that was just read to us is a great psalm. That's a great start, doesn't it? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with the surging. All of this awful stuff going on, yet God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And we do not need It's a fear. It's a great psalm. It talks about how God is there for us when we face troubles. And because of that, we don't need to fear. It's a psalm that has a good start, a great middle. It talks about celebrating God's presence in Jerusalem for us today. It's a psalm that's celebrating God's presence in our lives, where we're living right now. It talks about how when you live life with God, you receive his protection, but also an enjoyment in life. When you live with God, your life takes on a different and a new perspective. And this psalm is getting us to see this and to see all the amazing things that God does and how God is constant. Great start, great middle, but right at the end is the gold. Right towards the end of this psalm, we get those words directly from God. Be still and know that I am God. Whatever it is that your life has, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever situations you're in, be still and know that I am God. It's as if God sees all that the psalmist has written and he's encouraging us to then bring it all to come before him to spend time with him so that we can see all that the psalmist has extolled is all true when it comes to God. And so this morning I want to take those words, be still and know that I am God, and just unpack them a little bit for us. It's not part of the new sermon series that we started last week, but it does have some correlation to it, it connects to it. it it's a theme about being still and more in our life but more importantly, in our hearts. So, don't tell anybody, but you've got an extra little added extra today. You've got an extra sermon to it, but don't tell everybody else, okay? Because they'll want it as well. 
But this is the gold. Be still and know that I am God. And just like that myth that you, you know, you, you, people search for that gold. And I remember as a kid seeing a rainbow and your parents say, oh, it's a gold at the end of the rainbow. We want some time without you. Go and find it for an hour or two. You know, you go, you go on for days. God says, search me. Read this psalm. Keep going to the end. There's gold here. If you take it into life, be still and know that I am God. So firstly, be still. Do you remember different party games you played when you were younger at a kid's party? What Simon says, musical chairs, musical bumps, charades, Postman's knock. It's not just a Welsh thing, is it? <laughs> you wouldn't play it today. It's a safeguarding nightmare. That is. You get two children, you put them behind somewhere where nobody can see, and you encourage them to kiss each other. Different times, weren't they? Played all of that growing up in the 70s, I did. Free and easy games. But no party would be complete without a game of musical statues. So the music starts and you're, you're dancing around and you're running around and then all of a sudden the music stops and you stand still like a statue. Like those people you see in Covent Garden. They're amazing, aren't they? And they're just there for hours on end. And you wouldn't make eye contact with your mate because he'd make you laugh and you'd fall over and then you'd be out. And whoever's leading the party would, would come and move amongst you and go right up to your face and boo, and try to get you to laugh and move. We used to love it, didn't we? It's hard though, isn't it? It's hard to be still. Not just in the game, but, but in life as well. And, and friends, the stillness doesn't mean how much or how fast we move. It can be that we're always filling our lives with some kind of noise. We turn the television on, we speak to people on the phone, we go to the shops, we go to this meeting or that event. Some of you might have seen, this week, BBC Breakfast was 40 years old. It made me feel quite disheartened that I'm older than BBC Breakfast, but anyway. And they were, they were, they were talking about what it was like and they had, you know... Um, they went to the archives, which that word really makes you feel old, doesn't it? And they show video rails of what it was like. And one of the presenters, I don't know if you picked up on it, was saying, if you heard it, he was saying, they had lots of people commenting, uh, and some were commenting how breakfast, sorry, television at breakfast was immoral. I don't know if any of you picked up on that. And I'm watching that, having my toast and my tea at breakfast time thinking, ooh. Now, I don't think breakfast TV is immoral in any way, shape, or form. But in one sense, it's a recognition that we don't intentionally choose stillness. We don't choose that quiet. We come downstairs or, or out of our bedroom, not downstairs if you live in a bungalow, but we come out, and the first thing we do is put the telly on. We put the telly on because we want to hear other people. And I get that, especially if you live on your own. But it's the noise that we fill our lives with. Now looking around the room, 
don't take this the wrong way, a number of you here are retired. I guess in. Or if not, dear me, you need to. You know, you work, <laughs> give yourself a break, you know, enjoy life a little bit, you know? But if I had a pound in my life for every retired person that said to me, I don't know how I had time to work. I would not need a pension. I wouldn't need a stipend. I'd have a nice little pot of gold at the end of my metaphorical rainbow. Because we fill our lives, friends, don't we? Before retirement, we fill our lives with work and family and a busy social life. And then when we're retired, we, we, we fill that work part of our lives with something else. Yet in this psalm, where the psalmist has extolled all the wonderful aspects of God and who he is and what a life with God means for us, God steps in and says, but be still. God doesn't step in and say, now be busy. God doesn't step in and say, now go to that other meeting. God doesn't step in and say, now make sure you you fit more in your day and in your life and in your heart and in your mind. God steps in and says, be still. In the Old Testament book, you will know when the Israelites are being chased by the Egyptians and they come to the banks of the Red Sea and they think they're doomed and there's literally no human way out. Instead of Moses organising an army or uh, we're in a bit of a pickle committee (laughs) to find a solution, he turns to them and says, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Sorry? What are you talking about? There's an army approaching us and this will mean certain death and you're telling me to be still? Shouldn't we be organising some kind of army to at least have a go, have a crack at fighting them? Shouldn't we at least run and hide and play an amazing game of hide and seek so we can never be found? Being still was the last thing on their minds. That's what Moses is saying. You only need to be still. Not forever, but for a moment to focus anew and afresh on God. And for us, we may not be practically busy all the time. But what about when we have a problem? What about when we have a struggle, a concern? Are we being still before God for the solution, for the peace, for the seeing what his word says? Or are we being busy worrying? Are we being busy trying to sort it out ourselves? Are we being busy allowing it to consume our every waking thought, talking to everyone else about it, when God says to me, Come to me and be still. To still your mind. To be still with God means that we know in act and deed that God is with us, leading us, and we have surrendered to his guidance. Being still says that God is faithful. Being still says that we know we need, love and trust God. This one simple act, this one simple phrase, two words, be still holds so much uh, silent, purposeful meaning. For you see, when we are still before God, we put ourselves in a place to hear from Him, to receive from Him, to dwell with Him. I love that word, to dwell. To dwell means to immerse ourselves, to, to live in a place. And so to dwell with God in stillness means we are intentionally 
choosing to be with God, to live with God in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Friends, in life we would do well to have moments where we choose to be still. That's why God created Sabbath. A time for us to step away from the busyness of life. Whatever that looks like for you. And in our series, Start As We Mean To Go On, we're going to be looking at that in a few weeks' time. Now, some of you may think you don't have a lot in your days. Maybe you think your days are already filled with stillness. But are those days filled with intentional stilling before God? Where the things that we, the noise that we put into our lives, we just put down for a moment when we've got a concern, when we've got a worry, do we put the noise down and still our minds and our hearts before God in prayer, in reading his word? You see, we can have quiet days, but that doesn't mean we're being still with God. It just means we've got quiet days. And there are benefits to being still. Let me share an illustration. Dick Wade, a a sports writer in Kansas City, wanted to find out how much action really occurred in a regular baseball game. I think that's rounders or cricket to us in the UK, isn't it? So he took a stopwatch to a game and counted the time it took the ball to leave the pitcher, that's the bowler, bowler's hand, and reach the plate where the batter stands. As well as the time that the ball was actually out in the field in play. Wade discovered that in the two hours and 28 minute game, the amount of action that the actual ball was in play was only 8 minutes and 30 seconds. But think about that. When it comes to a sport like baseball, because of the the downtime, the stillness in the game, Baseball players are able to play 162 games a year. American footballers, rugby to us, have much more action in their game. There's not as much downtime. They're always busy in the game. Yet they're only able to play 17 games a season. Their season starts in September and ends in January. They have so many more injuries in the field. So where there's not as much action in baseball, 162 games. Where there's more action in American football, only 17 games and a lot of injuries. Tells us something, doesn't it? About downtime, about being still. If people are always doing, always you know, running around here and there, and they're always, always doing stuff, always filling life with noise. They get to a point where they exhaust themselves. Yet for those who make being still a priority, they tend to have more energy for the long haul. So let's be still and allow God to not only lead, but to be with us as well. So be still and know. Don't worry, the next two are shorter. And know. I'm loved by my wife. That's why she's not here today. No, I'm loved 
by my wife. She's with the kids today. How do I know that? Well, she tells me. How do I know I have a wife? Well, I can point to a date, the 19th of February 2005. We got married nearly 18 years ago. We have a date and a place where we made vows and got married. We have photos to prove that we proclaimed our love for each other, that it actually happened. We've got a marriage certificate. We've got wedding rings. We have experience over the last 18 years of what the practical outworking of this love means. How there have been many times of complete joy and sometimes of real struggle. But because we love each other, we've stuck with each other and worked through the struggle. Not because we enjoy it, but because we're married, because we love each other. In this psalm, the and no bit of what God says encourages us to have confidence in him. I have confidence in the love of my wife that we can walk through life together. That there are things that I can bring to her and and we'll help each other. And this psalm, the and no bit, be still and no, is God's encouraging us to have confidence, not in ourselves and our own ability, but in him. God is pointing to all the psalmists has said in the psalm and he's saying, you can be sure of who I am, for I am the God who rescues and helps you. I'm the God who is your refuge when you're in a tough place. I'm the God who is with you and will strengthen you when you feel weak. And no matter what happens, I will always be there for you. I will always be your God and I will never fail. And you see this and no, this confidence, it's not just an intellectual knowing head thing. It's a heart knowing. In these words, God is inviting us to know him. He's inviting us to have a relationship with him. He's inviting us into deeper relationship with him right to the end of our days. He's inviting us to bring our life situations to him and to see him in them. You know, we often say to the kids, there is nothing you can't tell us. That might come back to bite us as they get older, but we say to them, there's nothing you can't tell us. There's nothing you can't come to us with. Even the things you know we're not going to like, you can still come to us with that. And the reason we tell them that is because we want them to have confidence in our love for them. So even when they come to us with the things that we don't like and the things that we, we can't agree with and the things that we're struggling with, we will always love them. And we want them to have confidence and know, as their parents, our love for them above everything else. God says, no, have confidence in me and my love for you and my protection for you and my leading and my guiding and my being very for you above everything else. Have you got confidence in God? And finally, the great words that a congregation like to hear from a preacher. And finally. <laughs> Mind you, when Paul would say that, finally. No, exactly. <laughs> it's a bit like when a preacher takes his watch off. What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Be still and know what? That I am God. Have you ever gone through passport control at an airport and you're giving your passport over and the man or woman behind the desk looks at the passport, they look at you, they look at the passport, they look at you. Do you think, oh no, I hope they let me through. 
Or is it just me that thinks that? You know it's your passport. You know it's your photo. It might have been taken a little while ago, but you know it's you. But you kind of doubt yourself, is that really me? Because the way they're looking at you. We all have different things that point to who we are, don't we? We have photos, we have birth certificates, we have driver's licenses, we have marriage certificates, we have names on qualifications. Maybe you've got letters or a title before or after your name. I've got reverend before my name. If I want to use it, I can have letters BD after my name because I have a Bachelor of Divinity. I don't use it because people might think I know what I'm talking about and ask me questions. So I just hide that one. If you're a lady and you get married, you can then use Mrs. instead of Miss or Ms. I once spoke to somebody who pointed to a building and he said, I designed that. That's got my fingerprints all over it. That's who I am. There are lots of things that, that, that point to who we are. And God points to all of the things in this psalm and he says, that's me. That's who I am. And say, I am God. That's it. The things that, that PowerPoint, I didn't know you were showing that today, that PowerPoint, it points all of those different things in Scripture. God says, that's who I am. When you say, who's God? That's who I am. Some, some asks, do we know who God is? You know, last year we, we were on holidays in Poole and we went on a rib ride. If you don't know what a rib ride is, it's a ride on a very, very fast speedboat. And we paid our money, and my wife, for some reason, said, I'll stand on the side and look after the dog. So, okay, you can take them, okay. Um, just make sure you come back with both of them. So we went on this rib ride, and we get down to the, the harbour, and we, we sign in, and the person says, there were about 10 or 12 of us, you can sit anywhere on the boat you want to. Not one of us sat in the driver's seat. She didn't say you couldn't. She didn't sit anywhere. But none of us sat in the driver's seat. Why? Because we weren't the driver. We, we, we weren't. We all sat in different seats. And then a man came, and he had a T-shirt on that had the logo of the company on there, and he started speaking with an authority that he knew what he was talking about. And we all, without asking him, knew instantly this is the guy that's going to drive and hopefully not kill us. This is him. My children know me as their dad. This means they know as their dad I will love them, I will protect them, I will provide for them, I will look after them, I will sacrifice for them. They can rest and remain with me because I am their dad. Because I'm their dad and I, and I work and I get a wage, me and their mum will always put food on their table for them. Clothes on their backs. They feel safe when they're with us. I remember being in Zambia and we went out looking for a snake. Don't ask me why we did that, but we did. Because we, we went to see some friends one afternoon who loved snakes. And apparently this massive python had been seen on the grounds of their property. And so he said, let's go for a walk to see if we can see it. I said, Mike, why would we want to do that? He said, it'll be fun. I said, okay, I'll take your word for it. And he wanted to set up these camera traps around in case he could catch hold of this massive snake. My daughter at the time was, was quite young. She had never ever held on to me as tight as she did then. <laughs> Little did she know, all I was thinking if this snake comes is, I can outrun you. <laughs> I hate snakes. 
Why did she hold on to me so tight? Be still and know that you're my dad. That you've got me. So if something happens, you, dad, will protect me at all costs. When we told our children when we were moving to Billericay, their first reaction was they burst into tears. Not of joy, might I add. They didn't want to move. And it would have been easy for us to say to them because we saw their pain, don't worry, we'll stay where we are. But we knew it was something that God was calling us to. And even, and as our children, even though it was hard, they didn't want to do it, they trusted us. Why? Because they know us. They know our job description. They know who we are. And they trust God as well. And they know his job description is even better than ours. You know, when God says to us, be still and know that he is God, he's saying, look at the job description. Read through this wonderful book. Read it all. See who I am. See that I am God, you're not. I'm the one in the driving seat. He is supreme. He is the one who made all things and is over all things. He can be trusted and relied upon. He is the best of the best. Knowing who God is gives us security and an assurance that there are things outside our remit and our understanding and our skill set and our control because he is God and we are not. The challenge is as we close. Will we surrender our lives and say we know who God is? So you see, the words that come towards the end of this psalm are so important. Be still and know that I am God. We could say they're gold. Because they're so precious. So what will it mean for you and me in our lives? What will it take for us to say that God has not finished with us? yet I'm looking around and we've all got less ahead of us than behind us it's a cheery thought isn't it as we end our service so will we keep pushing into God Will we keep seeing that there's more that he wants to show us? More and deepening this relationship? See that there's another layer to our, to our relationship with him, to our prayer life, to how we engage with scripture, to how we support the generations before us, to, to grow in a deeper understanding and freshness of God, to have more of his spirit within us? Be still and know that I am God was not something that we all read once in Sunday school and that's it. Friends, it's be still and know that I am God every single day of our lives. And more and more and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And I want to, in my life, I want to, the God that I know now while the same God that I knew when I gave my life to him at 13 years of age, I know him more now. I've experienced more of him and deeper. And in another 20 years, if I'm still here on this earth, I want to know God even more then. Because it's continuing, it's growing, it's not a once-off, done that, tick the box, put it in the drawer. 
allowing him to continue being the driving seat of our lives. For you see, when we live out the truth of this, of this verse, this gold verse, it has such a deep impact upon our lives, upon how we make decisions, upon our worries, our doubts, our fears, upon what we give our priorities to. It will affect how we live our lives. It will affect how we view the church as we realise it's God's church, it's not ours. So may you be still. And may you know that he is God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the beginnings of our faith. Whenever that was. Thank you for the way that you grow us and and move us and shake us and develop us as we journey with you. But for all of us gathered in this place, the fact that we are here breathing means we haven't got to the end yet. So may we keep going with you. May we keep choosing intentionally to be still before you. To allow you to challenge, to change, to confront, to convict, to bless. To just pour more of your presence into our lives. And may we keep allowing that to grow all through our human days. Until one day we'll be in glory with you. So may we know what it truly means to be still and know that you are God. Always. And continuing. And deepening. And may we always choose to give you our heart. May we search for you all the days of our life. Not relying on something that might have happened to us 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But may we intentionally choose to search you anew and afresh today. To receive you anew and afresh into our lives. Through your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.